Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I hate double-minded men, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me according to your promise, and I shall live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me, and I shall be delivered. I shall always have regard for your decrees. You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their deceitfulness is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, Therefore, I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. I have done what is righteous and just. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Ensure your servant's well-being. Let not the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail, looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, O Lord. Your law is being broken. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Dave. Uh, Can I add my welcome to that of Ben's earlier on? My name's Peter Bramhall. I'm the student worker here at Christchurch Fullwood. And it really is my pleasure to be able to uh, welcome you if you are new here for the very first time, particularly if you are first-year students. It's great to see a few uh, first-year faces around. You're very welcome. And hopefully I'll get to uh, meet you after. 
And this morning, Ben's already highlighted the theme of our passage, which is being on the right path. I wonder if you've though, have ever been on the wrong path. There's one time I can remember when we got on the wrong path. I was, I'd gone for a walk with my family, so my wife and three boys, and my sister and her family, they had two children, and we were walking in the Blue Mountains of Sydney, just, just kind of west of Sydney, actually. And we got onto a path that was all okay, fine, and then we ended up what felt like walking along a little ledge along a cliff, which to our right there was about a 100 metre drop. Now I'm terrified of heights, and so that in itself felt pretty scary. But then our children all decided to start having a fight and pushing each other around on this path, and I'm just got visions of them toppling off. Being on the wrong path is a, it's not a nice experience, is it? When you've got lost, maybe. When you don't know where you're going, Uh, Maybe you've had that experience this week as you've moved to Sheffield of uh, getting lost. Uh, The sense of not knowing uh, where to go, uh, where to turn, uh, the sense of everything going wrong. Uh, I don't know about you, but when that experience is then applied to life, it's even worse. Uh, I'm sure we've all met people in the past who have got themselves onto the wrong path. Uh, We've watched maybe as they've taken a, a wrong decision or they've made the wrong friends and gone down a route of life which has left them shipwrecked. And then I meet Christians who worry about whether they're on the right path. Are they following God's will? Are they doing what God wants them to do? Being on the right path is really important. And when we get on the wrong path, it can fill us with fear and worry. And this passage that we have read does speak much to that, um, about being on the right path and avoiding the wrong path. Now look how the psalmist, he mentions it in verse 101, where he says, I have kept my feet from every evil path. And then in verse 104, he says, I hate every wrong path. In 105, he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then right at the end of what we read, again he says, I hate every wrong path. And so as we go through portions of this psalm over the last few weeks and then next week as well, we come to a section which is about being on the right path and avoiding the wrong path. You remember from the beginning of the psalm, here is a man who is seeking to live the blessed life, the blessed life which is lived as he lives out the Bible in everyday life. And here he now talks about getting onto the right path he says why that is good and right. And then he also speaks about being on the, the wrong path and why we should avoid that and how we can avo- avoid that. But first, though, let's look at this right path. And as we've been looking through the psalm, we've seen the psalmist's desire to live this Bible life, to live it out in the midst of life's difficulties and hardships. In last week, if you were here, in verses 89 and 90, the psalmist came to see that God's word stands eternal. It's never changing. God's faithfulness never changes. And so he can keep going when times are tough. In some ways, it's the high point on the psalm. And that hopeful mood continues into these verses which we read this morning. And the psalmist starts, verse 97, by saying that he loves God's law and that he meditates on it all day long. And that's where we find God's path, the right path, in God's law, in God's word. 
And so the psalmist says, I find that path in your word. And so I meditate on your word day and night. You could say he meditates on that word. Now, it's important to be clear what he means when he talks about meditation here. I don't know what it pops into your mind when you think of somebody meditating. I think the picture that often pops into my mind is of someone sitting cross-legged saying, um. The sense of those kind of, that sense of meditation is trying to empty your mind. Trying to get into a state where your mind is empty and clear. And you follow certain techniques to achieve that state. But that's not Christian meditation. That's not what the psalmist was doing. The med- Christian meditation is not emptying your mind. Rather, Christian meditation is about filling your mind with God's word. And so it means that you think about it, you ponder it, you consider it, you think how it applies to your life. You read something and then you think, I wonder how do I live that out? What's that going to look like tomorrow morning? Maybe you will then turn it over in your head as you're on the bus to work. Or you'll chat with a friend over coffee about what that word means, pondering it with them. You see, it's more than just emptying your mind. It's that filling your mind and seeking to understand God's word and what it means and how that applies to everyday life. All of it done in the context of wanting to understand it more and be in the relationship with the one who has given this word to us. Now, I recently read of someone who says when he's read this verse and thinks, no, I meditate on it all day long. He decided when he woke up in the night, rather than worrying about the day ahead or what he had done the day before, he would start thinking about God's word. He would remember what he'd been reading and ponder it and think about it then. And he said he was still tired when he woke up in the morning, but it was much more fruitful for him in the time when he was awake. And I've been doing that over the last few weeks, and I too have found it really helpful as I ponder God's word. And if you think maybe God's word has no practical value, see what happens as he meditates on that word. Verse 98. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they're ever with me. I don't know if you're the same as me, but I often worry that those who are against God know more than me. And maybe they know the right path to be living on more than I know what that path is. That they can make a better go of life in this messed up world. And so I worry that maybe they know more. But here the psalmist says, through God's word, through the commands of God, he is wiser than his enemies. And then verse 99, he goes on, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. He gains more insight than those who teach him. Now here's a great leveler. I can progress in insight beyond all those who have taught me because I have God's word. I have God teaching me. And so if I study this word, I can know the right path and I don't need someone always to tell me to do this or to do that or this is the right way. I can progress in insight beyond my teachers. Now I wonder whether you remember William Tyndale. He was one of the first people to translate the Bible into English so that we could be reading the Bible here this morning. And he was discussing the need to have the Bible in English with some Catholic priests who were saying that there was no need to translate the Bible into English. 
Indeed, they tried to stop Tyndale translating the Bible into English. And Tyndale made this brilliant reply to them. He said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spares my life, I will make make a boy that drives the plough know more of the scriptures than you do. Wonderful. That's what this verse is saying. That we can, as we study God's word, as we read it, as we learn it, can have more insight than our teachers. We can know the right path through this word. And he goes on, not only can he be wiser than enemies and have more insight than teachers, verse 100, he says, I have more understanding than the elders. It's worth stepping back at this point just to consider what he's saying here. He's saying that he is someone who is studying God's word. He's meditating on the Bible. And he says all of this Bible gives him wisdom and insight and understanding. And when he says wisdom, insight and understanding, he's talking about the same things in just slightly different ways. You could sum it all up by saying they all speak of wisdom. Wisdom to live this life and to be on the right path, on God's path. And in the Bible, wisdom is something like the, the blueprint or the, or the architecture of the world laid before us. In Psalm 104, the psalmist will say, How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. In wisdom, you made them all. God made all things in this world by his wisdom. He made the world according to the blueprint of his wisdom. The architecture of the world is God's wisdom. And God shows us that wisdom in this book so that we can know it. And we can understand it. You see, as we meditate on this, as we understand this, we understand the world as God made it. And so we can choose the right path. We understand the underlying order of the world through the Bible. And so we can see as we read the Bible that the world that God made is regular and predictable and God upholds it in that way. And so we undertake the physical sciences. We come to see that the world has moral and spiritual dimensions and relational aspects which are not random and not changing with every society on earth. We come to understand the right path morally for us to live on through this word which God gives us. You see, this wisdom and insight and understanding is the shape of the world in which we live. And as we think of that wisdom, the wisdom in the Bible is not just something which goes into our heads. Wisdom is not just to be clever or to have head knowledge. Rather, wisdom is only really wisdom when it is lived out in the world. Now just look at the last statement again of of verse 100. I have more understanding than the elders. Why? For I obey your precepts. You see, he grows in understanding as he obeys God. As he puts God's word into practice, he comes to understand God more and have more insight into this world and to grow in wisdom. And now we know that from everyday life. 
Let me illustrate with one of my, my hobbies. I've recently taken up uh, beekeeping. Um, and before I started beekeeping, I went on a course and they taught us lots of things. They taught us about the anatomy of a bee and how to put a hive together and what to look for when you are looking through a hive, what honey it should look like and what it should taste like and all those different things. And so I knew lots about beekeeping. And yet when I then got my bees... And when I started having to look after them myself, that understanding was enhanced and deepened as I lifted up bees and as I felt them crawling on me, as I felt what honey felt like in the comb and how heavy that was, as I saw things in the comb with my own eyes. The understanding I had was deepened and I understood it to a greater extent. And that is the same with God's word. As we put it into practice in the nitty gritty of God's life, of our life, then we come to understand it more. We see how good it is. We see how right it is. We grow in understanding. You see, in this wisdom is what's meant to be lived out in everyday life. And that's what the psalmist was doing. And the wisdom which we are to live out is more than just the commands and rules which God gives. Now you see, as we've gone through this psalm, that there's eight words which speak of the Bible in the, in the psalm, used repeatedly all the way through. But they speak of more than just the rules and the commands that God gives. Rather, they speak of all of God's plans and purposes in the world. And all of those plans and purposes which ultimately find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus and in the cross of Jesus. Do you remember the argument of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 where he speaks of the wisdom of the cross? That Christ is the wisdom of God. All of the Old Testament was pointing towards him. And so living out this life of wisdom for this Old Testament believer was living in the light of the promises which would be fulfilled in Christ. And for us it now means walking in the path of that cross understanding that it's in the cross that we have our sins forgiven and we can follow in God's ways and seeking then to live out a life which is different now. You see, the psalmist wanted to be walking in the path of that wisdom and he lived trusting in the promises of God, those promises which are yes in Christ. And so that meant he saw in verse 105 that God's word was a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. He wanted to live before Christ came in the light of the promises of God. And we come now wanting to live in the light of the cross in everyday life, living out the forgiveness that we have received from Christ, wanting to be the people who are Christ, his very own, or to use the New Testament language, to be those who are eager to do what is good, to do the good deeds God's prepared for us. And so living this life and being on the right paths means doing some things and not doing other things. Getting onto the right path, though, is more than just thinking about life's big decisions. It's more than just thinking about what job I take or who should I marry or which house should I buy. This lamp of God's word to our feet is about everyday life, about living in the everyday and making the decisions every day which are in accordance with God's will and purposes. So that we please God in every way and every day. And so the psalmist here seeks to live out that wisdom every day in the nitty gritty of life. 
And, and as he does that, the other side, the flip side, if you like, is that he comes to hate other paths. And he describes the other paths in, in a number of ways, but he says in verse 104 and 128 that he hates every wrong path. You can understand that. He has come to deeply understand that God's word is where wisdom comes from, that he gains understanding from God's precepts. And so therefore, everything which is going to lead him away from that, he comes to hate. He does describe people who follow such paths in striking ways. Look at verse 113, where he says, I hate double-minded men. And the double-minded men who are described as evildoers in verse 115. They're described as the wicked in verses 110 and 119. They are the people who stray from God's decrees, verse 118. You see, these are people who are following wrong paths, following false ways. And as they follow those false ways, they set snares in the path of the psalmist. That's what he says in verse 110. You see, they're people who are doing the opposite of the psalmist. They're following every and any kind of walk which they find for themselves, but they're not walking in God's way, and so they're walking in a false way. And it speaks of everyone then who is not following in the wisdom of God, who is not walking according to the path which is set out in this Bible. It's the path of everyone who does not follow the wisdom of the cross. Those who are walking in any other way are not following God. In fact, they're following a way which is at odds with God and the world which God makes. It can sound horribly narrow-minded, can't it, when we think like this? Do you remember the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, Jesus says there is only one way for life, and that life comes through listening to and following him being served by him in his death on the cross and then having our devotion set on him as we live everyday life. It means rejecting every false path because those false paths jar with the world that God made and they can't lead to anything good because they don't fit with the world. And so the psalmist says, I hate those paths. In fact, he shows that he hates those paths because he understands that they do lead to destruction. Now look what he says in verses 118 to 120. He says that God is faithful and will reject all those who follow ways which are not his ways. You reject all who stray from your decrees for their deceitfulness is in vain. Which God must do because those ways are against the world which he made. They're against him. Now those who follow those ways are described in 119 in this way. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore I love your statutes. It's quite shocking, isn't it? And yet that's the Bible's picture of those who are following that wide path to destruction. 
following their own paths in their own ways and rejecting God's ways and paths. And as he contemplates this, the psalmist says in verse 120, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. The one person said, you could translate this, uh, as my skin crawls in fear of you. Or his hair stands on end as he thinks of these things. As he considers the, the end of those who are following their own ways, his skin crawls. God will do this according to his justice and his right. And this is the path of those who are rejecting God and following their own path. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. And the psalmist doesn't want to follow that path. And so we can understand his attitude when he says in verses 113 to 115 that he hates double-minded men, that he wants them to depart from him. Verse 115, he says, stay away from me. He says that because he knows that the path they are on leads to destruction and he doesn't want to get on that path with them. He feels the danger which they can bring. And I think he feels that because he knows the temptations and desires of his heart. Because they're the same as all of ours. Our sinful hearts are drawn to things which we shouldn't be drawn to. And so he wants those temptations removed. You know, he has the feeling in verse 109 of taking his life constantly in his hands. That sense of being tempted to follow ways which are not God's ways. The danger of walking from God's path and starting to follow the wrong path. Now he feels, verse 110, that the wicked have snit a snare for him. And do you not feel that snare sometimes? People do things which you secretly would like to do yourself. Temptations placed in front of you and because of our sinful hearts, we look at them and think, oh yeah, maybe that's right. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should follow that. I guess for many of you, if you're a fresher here this morning, have felt that this week, in Freshers Week. People doing things which you can see are the wrong way, but secretly in your heart you want to join in with. And maybe you have. And can I say, if that is you this morning, come back to God, confess your sins and be forgiven and seek to live on that right path again. You see, we know the the false ways, the the promise and the pleasure that alcohol will bring, which is false. The promise of success through overwork or the promise of security and fulfillment through a relationship with a non-Christian. The promise of delight through the use of pornography. All those things can trip us up and can ruin our walk as we follow on a false path. And so we should be learning to cry out like the psalmist, I hate every wrong path. And so we cry out, away from me. Allow me just to get on with it and following this path. Away from me, you evildoers. It's interesting that that verse, 115, away from me, you evildoers, is the only verse in the whole of the psalm that's addressed to someone other than God. He says, away from me, evildoers. Let me get on with my Christian walk. And see, he's not advocating becoming a hermit or living in a monastery. Rather, what he's saying in that way is saying, I don't want to be infected with your values. 
I don't want to follow your paths. He wants to be in the world, but he doesn't want the world to become his view. As someone's once said, the boat's meant to be in the water, but the water's not meant to be in the boat. And so as we seek to live this path, we are careful about the friends that we make and the friendships that we deepen. We don't want to be having all our closest friends and advisors, those who are actually following false ways. Yes, we want to make friends with people. And we want to be friends so that we can share the gospel of the Lord Jesus with them. But we want to be careful that we are not being infected with their values and their desires. It will mean that we want to be making sure we spend time in the week with Christian people who will give us good advice and who will encourage us to live in the right way, following God. And so if you are a first year, can I really encourage you to get stuck into church early? Get stuck into the Christian union. Make good friendships with Christians who will support and encourage you in this way. For we see in these verses the rightness and the goodness of following in God's path and his wisdom. We see the danger and the bankruptcy of following in the wrong path. And we should see the desire to avoid being infected with those ways of thinking. And as we go about that task, I think there's a wonderful balance in this psalm. Because look at verses 116 and 117 where the psalmist has got this desire to go this way, go God's way and to avoid the false ways. And he says, sustain me according to your promise and I shall live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me and I shall be delivered. I shall always have regard for your decrees. You see, as we desire to go in God's way and as we work to go in God's way, we cry out to God to sustain us to uphold us because we know by ourselves we can't do it. As we seek to follow that path of the cross and live out the wisdom of the cross in everyday life, we ask for God's help to save and protect us, to sustain and uphold us. Here's a prayer that we can be praying to God this week. As I seek to go this way, sustain and uphold me. And if you're worrying whether you're on the right path, You can ask these questions. Am I trusting in Christ for my salvation? If you answer yes, you're on the right path. You then ask, am I seeking to live out my life as his redeemed person, following his ways? If you answer yes, then you're on the right path. You ask, am I increasingly hating the wrong path and trying to keep on God's? And if you answer yes to that, then you're on the right path. And are you praying, sustain me, uphold me, Lord? If you are, you're on the right path. Well, let me pray for us as we do that. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us wisdom. And that we can have that wisdom, wisdom which is lived out in everyday life. Would you be increasingly help us to follow in your path of wisdom? Would we be those who are meditating on your word? 
so that we can know the right paths. Father, help us and keep us from wrong paths and false ways. Help us not to be tripped up as we walk on your path. In all of it, Father, please would you sustain and uphold us. Help us on this path. Keep us trusting in Christ for our salvation and seeking to live our lives as his redeemed people. And Father, when we fail, would we see again that you are a Father who loves us and draws us back and that we would start again with you again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.